Tomorrow, only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift Vieira's Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Streaming tomorrow, only on Disney+. Plus. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 103, and today we are talking about books released on April 18th, 2017, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow podcast, Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. And how are you today? I'm all right. It's a beautiful day. It was like an amazing weekend, just absolutely gorgeous. I'm pretty sure it was gorgeous where you were, too. Yes, it was beautiful here. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that you're here with me this week. You survived a, um, a little bit of an event last week after we finished our show. It would be an event for anyone else, but to me, it happens all the time. Oh, no. um, but, like, yes, yeah, shortly after, we, I wish I could say it was before, but shortly after we <laughs> finished recording last week, I struck my head really, really hard. Uh, really hard. Um, so that stunk, and I had a big giant bump and a big giant bruise, and I've been had a headache all week. Um, but the universe made up for it because I got some really amazing books to read on Wednesday. I got the new Eddie oh, Izzard memoir, and I got the new Roxanne Gay memoir, and I got the the new um, Gabrielle Sidibe memoir, and of course I read them all already. I, I plowed through them. <laughs> And I was like, this is so great, and I'm having a great week. And then, so, but then, I, I don't know if this is because I hit my head or what. I don't know if any readers out there have ever done this before, but yesterday I was telling a story, and I threw in some details from a book, and then, like, <laughs> like there were things that had happened detail. to you? Like, like I was, I was saying, like, oh, yeah, I, I went, there's a speakeasy that opened in our area, and I was like, I've been to a speakeasy. It was really cool. I was in the back of this wig shop, and you go through this door, and it was really cool, and then I was like, we knew it was, in the, it was in the back of an antique shop. Uh, the wig shop was from the other typist by Suzanne Rindell. <laughs> it's just like, no, that wasn't me. <laughs> and then, but then I could be like, eh, I hit my head. <laughs> oh, that's funny. It's kind of like when you wake up from a dream that you don't realize was a dream until like later in the day, and you're having kind of a memory, and it's like, wait, is that a thing that really happened to me, or did yeah. I dream that? It just came out of my mouth like it was so natural. Like, yeah, and I went through this wig shop, and I was like, no, I did not. <laughs> Did I mean, you fess up? Oh, oh yeah. I was like, we know that's that's not that wasn't me. <laughs> but I mean, it it wasn't terrible. It wasn't like you know. And then I was fighting these aliens, and you know, right. like it wasn't anything too bad. But I was like, no, not wig shop, <laughs> antique shop. <laughs> that's not a huge difference. I can no. see how the details would get crossed over each other. Yeah. That's funny though. I was only a little worried. I don't have that version of it, but I get where, like, especially nonfiction, like, random facts that are in my brain from things, I'll be talking to Bob about something, and I'm like, well, and you know, blah, 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 and he's like, I know, I'm the one who told you that. I was like, oh, 
I thought I read it in a book or vice versa. Like I'll have learned something in a book that I think he taught me. And so I start talking to him about, you know, this thing that we were talking about. And he's like, I know, I've never heard of that. I've never talked to you about <laughs> that that's, that's understandable. I mean, yeah. so many facts going into the your sources, head all the time. The sources get confused. Yeah. Speaking of facts about thinking, I learned that we have more than 60,000 thoughts per day the other day. Oh, maybe that's why I had a headache. Or why we're just all so tired all the time. That's so many thoughts. Yeah. My th- <laughs> lots of my thoughts are like, um, why Why can't I think of anything? That's, <laughs> I probably think that like 20,000 times a day. <laughs> uh, clear the mind. Clear the mind. All yeah. right. We should talk about books because that's what they pay us to be here for. I, I, mine was book related. It was, that's true. You know, something like that. But um, <laughs> before I get started, I just want to quickly say that one in a Million Boy by Monica Wood is out in paperback today. One of my very, 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 very favorite books from last year, as you know, because I've talked about it on the show a million times, so I'm not going to go into the whole spiel again, but it's wonderful. It's amazing. It gave me all the feels, so check it out. Um, speaking of wonderful and amazing and true, my first pick, so incredible, Killers of the Flower Moon, The Osage Murders, and The Birth of the FBI by David Gran. I think I talked about this on the books we were anticipating show. It's so mm-hmm. fascinating. So fascinating. I like he writes the most incredible articles and, you know, books about things. I, I just I love him. Um, I'm gonna stop babbling about him though, and I'm gonna tell you about the book. So it's it's the true story. It's real. It happened. In the nineteen twenties, uh, the richest people per capita in the world were the Osage Indian Nation in Oklahoma. Like a few years prior to that there was oil discovered on their reservation and it made them like stupid rich they they were they used to take chauffeured cars like from one house to another like just down the street like there was no more walking like chauffeured cars and they all had like huge mansions and they sent their kids to these really elite schools in Europe and it was just amazing um until someone started murdering them like slowly mm. Members of the tribe started dying under mysterious circumstances. And sometimes, like, not so mysterious, just, like, they didn't know who was doing it. Um, and so the in, p- police in the in the area were, were not so great at looking into this. They were, like, you know, the prejudice towards Native Americans was quite obvious, and they were kind of slow getting started looking into it. They bungled a whole bunch of stuff. They, they messed up a bunch of things. Um, and, and then the investigators themselves uh, started being murdered. Which is bad. Very bad. So, at this point, uh, J. Edgar Hoover, who was, who was a young man at this time, he had just started working, you know, for the government, um, he sends in this task force, um, including some undercover agents, to figure out what the hell is going on. Because this is just crazy. It's like, it's like an Agatha Christie mystery set in the Wild West. I mean, this is like the 1920s in Oklahoma, so... This, it's, That's a good pitch. You know, it's kind of like lawlessness isn't that long in the past and like I said you know there's a lot of prejudice involved and so it's it's so fascinating it's so so crazy um I don't want to tell you any more about it because there's just so many bonkers facts I would be here forever however I will say like in reading this book I think the most astonishing fact was the fact that the government actually gave them money for the oil like they didn't figure out a way to cheat them out of their money, you know? Like, given the history of the government with the Native American people, I was like, wow, they actually gave them millions of dollars? You think that the government would have figured out a way to get around this? That was the, probably the most astonishing thing in the book. Um, it, but it, 
so many crazy, can you believe this facts that you're going to be nudging people? You and Bob will be talking about this someday, and he'll be like, I didn't tell you that. You were that in a book. <laughs> it's so good. And like I said, David Grant is amazing. Um, the Lost City of Z is one of his books, mm-hmm. one of my very favorite nonfiction books. And He's amazing. That's coming out in a film now, soon, soonish. Soon. With that blonde motorcycle guy. Um Oh, the guy from Sons of Anarchy. That's his name. Oh, Charlie name. something? <laughs> yeah. Hunnam? Yeah, something like that. I'm more of a Mark Dunn fan. Um, or Mark Boone fan, I should say. But I, before I finish, I want to tell you, because this reminded me that like I never talk about this book, and I always mean to. One of my other favorite nonfiction books is called The Poet and the Murderer, which is like full of, like, can you believe this sort of facts? It's the true story of a man who um, murdered people with pipe bombs, but also tricked Christie's into selling original Emily Dickinson's poems that he actually wrote himself. It's so fascinating. So crazy fascinating. And I just wanted to slip that in there. Lots of wrecks all over the place. Um, yeah. So, again, this book is called Killers of the Flower Moon, the Osage Murders, and the Birth of the FBI by David Gran. It's like the nesting doll of book recommendations when you have your first turn. <laughs> it's so much fun. And can I tell you something else crazy? Um, the, the bad guy... The, from the poet and the murderer, he was cellmates with one of the murderers from Under the Banner of Heaven by John Krakauer. <laughs> That's too much. True story. It's too much. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> okay, my first book is not about any of those things at all. It's called <laughs> How to Be Married, <laughs> What I Learned from Real Women on Five Continents About Surviving My First Really Hard Year of Marriage. It's by Joe Piazza. I loved this. Uh, she was 34 and like fully established as an independent woman. She is a travel writer and was a, an editor for a long time for Yahoo's Travel Vertical before it went away. Um, so it really, really had established herself as an adult, had her own career, was living her own life, and met this man when she she was on a trip. They had a sort of rom-com-esque, uh, very quick romance, got engaged after just three months and then got married. And he's he's even older than she is. She, he's 40 when they meet. So they're both past the point where their habits are like very malleable in their lives, they think at least. They know how to be alone. Um, they don't know how to share their lives with someone else. So they get married and then they sort of embark on this like, what does it actually mean to be married? How do you do it well? Um, and she comes up with this idea that they'll travel around the world, she notices in the run-up to the wedding that she's on her work travel and everywhere she goes when she's talking to the locals, she's, she just starts asking the people that are chatting with her, what's the secret to a good marriage? What does it take, what does it take to have a good marriage? So they cook up this more formal idea that during their first year of marriage, they'll go on a bunch of trips around the world together and have experiences. Like they go to um, sort of a guy who's a mix between a traditional psychotherapist and a shamanic healer in the jungle in Mexico. Uh, And then they go to a woman who owns a very fancy lingerie store in France. And they talk to these people who are supposedly experts about marriage and relationships, but also just to like normal local people in each of these places. And the book documents those journeys and the things that they learned, there's an overriding theme for each location. Um, So she learns about... making space for yourself and your husband when she's visiting Israel and is talking to the Orthodox Jewish women. When she has lunch with a bunch of French ladies, they say, you know, be your husband's mistress, wear fancy lingerie. Um, You can be a feminist and also care about what your husband wants and sort of cater your appearance to his desires and keep the flames lit that way. Um, She goes to uh, South American countries that are traditionally very patriarchal and learns about how the women maintain their own power um, or get 
things done uh, in a society where the men technically make all the decisions, all sorts of stuff, and then sort of grounds it back into how she's thinking about her own relationship and, you know, by virtue of writing a book about it, how we can all think about our own romantic relationships and partnerships. Um, It's really great. It's wonderfully written. It's very fun to spend time with her, but it's also very thoughtful and there's meat on the bone here. Marriage is tough. Um, A lot of people, like your friends will ask, I've had this experience, your friends ask how your partner is, like right up until you're married, you know, you're having lunch and they're like, oh, and how are things going with Bob? And then once you get married, it can often be very silent. Um, It feels like this closed off or sacred or private thing. People don't ask. And so people don't talk about the difficulties in being married and in staying married. And Piazza is trying to open up this conversation to talk about some of the struggles in her own first year of marriage and some of the struggles of being in a committed relationship with one other person in general. I really appreciated that openness. And also, like in addition to just being married for the first year and figuring their stuff out, she finds out early in their marriage that um, she has inherited a gene from her father that makes it very likely that she's going to develop muscular dystrophy in middle age. So they were already just trying to you know figure out their life together, but now they have to really start thinking about, do they really want kids? What about the genetic risk of children? How do they want to organize their lives now in their younger years, knowing that there's a very high level? likelihood that she won't be able to go and do certain things in their older years. It's a like that's a huge bomb to have dropped into a relationship at any point, but especially one that's relatively young. Uh, and it's it's really just open-hearted and inspiring how they move through those difficult moments together. It's not graceful and elegant all the time. They have some blow-ups. She admits to, you know, behavior that she wishes that she hadn't had words that were said. Um, but ultimately really what they learn about how to become a team and support each other without like subsuming each other or falling into that myth that once you get married, the two become one and you don't have your own identities anymore. Um, I thought it was really great. I don't know if it's the kind of book I would give to someone who's on their way to getting married or if it's more useful once you're in a relationship, probably for everybody, really. We should all be thinking about these things more often. Um, And I know like, I picked it up and I was like, oh, rookies, people being married for one year. Um, But there was really interesting stuff. There. So again, it's called How to Be Married by Joe Piazza. Awesome. Do you want to tell us about our first sponsor? I do. Our first sponsor this week is Life After by Katie Ganshirt. A fiery explosion claims the lives of passengers on Chicago's transit system. As the sole survivor, Autumn Manning is haunted by the lives of the victims. When forces come together to bring her face-to-face with reminders of devastating loss, she must decide what path to take forward. In Life After, this is Katie Ganshirt's most complex and unforgettable novel yet, the stirring prose and authentic characters pose questions of truth, goodness, and ultimate purpose in this emotionally resonant tale. Um, this is critically acclaimed, award-winning author. It's great for fans of Jojo Moyes. Um, Publishers Weekly gave this a starred review saying that Ganshirt uses masterful pacing, engaging characters, and believable dialogue to bring readers along, tackling big issues powerfully. So again, that's Life After. It's by Katie Ganshirt. We'll have a link to it in the show notes, or you can find it wherever books are sold. Fantastic. Ah, yes. Okay. Keep us going. I also have a wonderful, honest memoir, but mine has pictures. Mm. My next pick is Imagine Wanting Only This by Kristen Radke. It is a beautiful graphic memoir. Uh, In it, Radke examines grief and loss and decay Decay of the body, as well as of our world, as well as of relationships. 
Um, when she was in college, her beloved uncle died suddenly. It was very hard for her. It was very hard for their family. Uh, she was, and like I said, she was in college. Uh, she drove to his funeral, and on the way, I can't remember if it was there or back, uh, she found an abandoned mining town, and she went exploring, and she just went walked through like all these old buildings that were crumbling and falling down, and she was completely fascinated by this, and it really started her off on a journey um, and a love with ruins um, all over the world. She she traveled to the Philippines. She traveled, I think, to Italy. I'm sorry, I, for, I read this so long ago. I'm like, I don't know which countries, but she went all over the world, and she was, you know, sort of just so wrapped up in these ruins, but also she talks about how, you know, she was living with the knowledge that she has a rare genetic heart disease um, that she inherited, you know, from her family. Uh, it's, it's, you know, very serious if not taken care of. And it's, you know, so she's like sort of walking around all these crumbling buildings and she's holding this, you know, um, health issue like in, in her. And it's, she just is so poignant and, and beautiful in the way she describes like what that feels like, what it is to carry that with you. Um, it's very profound. It's a very personal book, and the illustrations are wonderful. Um, and it's about, you know, what it's like. I wonder, like, what it's like to not just put your thoughts, like your personal thoughts, into words, but to also try and express it in illustrations. Like, I, I wonder what it's like to draw yourself. You mm -hmm. know, it'd be like, am I making the right face, you know, in how I felt here? Um, you know, and how hard or easy that is to do. And her, like I said, her illustrations are great. Um, again, it is called Imagine Wanting Only This by Kristen Radke. I second that emotion. This book is really something. It's so great. She's so great. I love her. Okay, my next one, we're going to have something funny, finally. <laughs> um, my next book is called When You Find Out the World is Against You by Kelly Oxford. This is sort of a memoir in essays. I'm not familiar with Kelly Oxford. She's written a previous book. Um, she's also a screenwriter. She's very funny on the internet. Uh, and... The book is a collection of essays that they sort of go all over the place. Like, to be honest, I'm not entirely sure what I think about this book, but I had fun with it. So I'm talking about it today. Uh, in the first piece, she goes off, she's like 11, and she convinces her mom to send her to summer camp for a week, like just at the place down the street. She thinks she's going to learn some things about boys and teenagers before she starts middle school. And it is predictably a disaster. Like the one friend that goes into camp with her, um, sort of betrays her. An, an older girl convinces her to do uh, like a home wave, a body wave on her hair, which is a thing we used to do to our hair in the early 90s. Uh, and her hair, like half of her hair falls out because they leave it in too long. The boy makes fun of her that she likes. She puts her foot in her mouth a couple of times. Like things just don't go well. And so that it's sort of like tales of a socially awkward tween, but she's just all out there with it. Um, there's another one where she and her sister are at this daycare that they hate when a tornado hits and or some sort of natural disaster. I'm pretty sure it's a tornado. There's hail. And she uses it to guilt her parents about sending them to daycare um, when she hates going there because she wants to be with her mom and the, the people don't even love me at daycare. Um, what if we had died? And she moves on up through her adulthood, her marriage, her career, discovering that she has a panic disorder. Um, she writes very openly about what a mess she is. And this is like a subgenre 
genre of memoir that some people do very well. Like they write about their own neuroses in a way that's both like relatable and sort of comforting, but also really hilarious. And Kelly Oxford threads that needle very nicely. She's writing about some serious things um, and very difficult experiences that she's had, but she manages to make them very funny and light. I mean, she's poking fun at herself and talking about the ways that she knows she's crazy. Um, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot of fun. I don't know if I would want to like hang out with her and have drinks. It also seems like that could be very tiring. Um, but I did enjoy reading the essay memoir things. The blurb on the cover, one of the blurbs compares it to like, if basically if David Sedaris and Mindy Kaling had a baby and it's definitely the right level of neurosis there, like with, with David Sedaris, not quite as like you want to be best friends with her as the Mindy Kaling books are, but that's not a bad comparison for it. These would probably be great on audio. I think, um, I just was, I sort of dipped in and out over the course of a week and was like, what, you know, hijinks is Kelly Oxford going to be up to today? But I enjoyed it enough that I'll probably go back and read her previous book at some point. Um, you know, not a life changing read. Not everything we talk about on this show is going to be like, you know, an award-winning book. Not every book we read in our lifetimes is one of those. I might not remember this book like in three or four years. Kelly Oxford, I'm sorry if you're listening to this and that makes you feel bad. Um, but it was really fun. And if you enjoy this kind of thing, I think you'll probably enjoy this one as well. Um, so again, it's When You Find Out the World is Against You by Kelly Oxford. I don't know. If, have we discussed David Sedaris before? Um, I don't know, actually. I don't think he's had a new book in the time we've done the show. No, he has one coming out next month. I think mm -hmm. I have it. I haven't read it yet, but we had a chance to have him at the store one time and he's wonderful and he takes a lot of time like with his signing line, like he has conversations with everybody. But I guess one thing that I had forgotten or didn't realize, realize is he is so filthy. He is oh, yeah. so unbelievably filthy. And people would say, would you please write the dirtiest thing you can think of in my book? And he did not disappoint. <laughs> like, I was watching and I was like, oh, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and he, he's so funny. So filthy. Yeah, I saw him read, I think I've seen him read twice. And it was at a, they do his events at a theater in downtown Richmond because he's too popular to just put in a bookstore here. And he stayed until like one o'clock in the morning because he will stay to sign every last book. And the memorable moment from that one, I was helping um, the fountain here in Richmond was selling the books and I was helping out with that. And um, the like memorable moment that I saw was a teenage kid, like a 17 year old boy approaching him um, at the signing table. And he's like, how old are you? And the kid's a 17. And <laughs> David Sedaris turns around behind him and like rummages around in his bag and comes up holding a travel size bottle of lotion from his hotel room and he's like you should start moisturizing now you're gonna need this when you're older <laughs> he's insane. but if so you great. are in a city where you get a chance to go see him while he's on tour um one of the interesting things that he does that I've never seen another author do is that he reads from work that's in progress while he's on tour. So like he'll tell some of the stories that you know from his books or from listening to him on NPR, um, but he's mostly reading new material and he's like standing there with it on a little music stand and he has his pencil in his hand and he's making notes about what works and what doesn't work. And then when the next book comes out, Often the stories that you heard at his reading are in there, but they're in a slightly tighter, funnier form. Um, I think it's a really risky, like brave way to have your work in progress be out there. And he is just so funny. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun to see. Yeah. That was fun to remember. That was. A little I trip down it. 
Memory Lane, what's next on your book list? My next book is called The Last Days of Cafe Layla by Donya Bijan. And she is a well-known chef and a former restaurant owner in the Bay Area. Um, This is her second novel, and it's about an Iranian-American named Noor who has just gone through a divorce. It's so sudden. uh, It's only in the first few pages, so I'm not going to spoil anything here. She, you know, she finds out that she's been being betrayed by her husband. She just, like, wants to end it, wants to move out, wants everything to be done, just as quick as that. Um, So she does. She moves out, and she takes their teenage daughter, Lily, with her. Lily is, uh, you know, she's a teen girl, so she is pretty mad at her mom. She blames her for everything. She blames her for uprooting her. She blames her for the divorce. She's just so miserable and, and just speaks to her in such a horrible way all the time. And Noura is just beside herself, you know, dealing with the divorce and, and all this. Um, she's been living in the country since she was 18. Uh, her father sent Noor and her brother to America when she was 18. He's because he felt that Iran was too unstable a country at that time. And it wasn't a place for them to grow up like it was when he was a kid. So he sent them to America and, you know, her fa- she, she wanted to come home and she would write to her father and he'd be like, no, you know, you have to stay there. It's, it's not safe here anymore. It's not where you need to be, you know, and eventually she stopped asking, Um, But she always kept in touch with her father, always sent him letters. And while she was living her life, you know, making her way in America, he had Cafe Layla. Um, It was a restaurant that his parents opened when they were um, newlyweds, and he had been working there. And over the years, you know, through the social climate, through the political climate, it had always been something stable in the neighborhood. A lot of the businesses around him closed. You know, it wasn't as fancy as it used to be. It wasn't as fabulous as it used to be. It didn't bring in the money that it used to be, but it was always a place that people knew was, you know, a good place to go. He was a good man. And so finally, right around the time that Noor, you know, has her, her breakup of her marriage, she sends him a letter and she says, you know, this is what's happening in my life. And he sends her one back saying it's time to come home. So she, she decides to take Lily and she goes to Tehran and she gets swept up in the beauty and the memories of the country that she hasn't seen since she was 18. Um, it's just, it's an absolutely lovely story. Um, like I said, she's the, um, Bajan is a chef and if she cooks as well as she writes, she must be a fantastic chef. I mean, her words are just lyrical and beautiful and it's just a really lovely, lovely story. And I just, I enjoyed it to pieces. Again, it's called The Last Days of Cafe Layla by Donia Bajan. That sounds lovely. Oh, it's so nice. If you just want to read something nice, there you go. Do you know what else is lovely? <gasps> yes, but you say it. <laughs> Book Riot Insiders. Oh my goodness. So much fun. Um, this is I, our second got, like, sponsorship spot this week, and we're just going to take it for ourselves. Yeah, because, yeah, it's so much fun. I got, like, no work done this weekend. I just played, I played on the Insider Slack all week, and yep. it, it was great. It was great. So if you didn't listen to the show last week or you're behind, or maybe this is your first week listening to us, welcome, newcomers. Hi. Uh, and also, let me tell you what? I said, hit my head. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, 
Let's tell you about Book Riot Insiders. It's our new subscription program that gives insiders exclusive content and goodies. Um, there are three pricing levels. One is $3 a month, one is $5 a month, one is $10 a month, or you can do an annual pack to each of those for $29, $49, or $99 a year. So the yearly packages are a really good deal if you know this is something that you're going to enjoy. The features you can get depend on which level you subscribe to, because that's how these things work. Everybody at all the levels gets a monthly behind the scenes newsletter. It's going to be written by a different staff member each month. We're promising lots of whimsy and pet pictures, but also you're going to get to learn about what's going on behind the scenes and not just from the editorial staff that you hear like on podcasts or that you follow on Twitter, but um, from, you know, our ad sales director or from our developer who built some of the features of Book Riot Insiders about what goes into making this thing and this community for us. Um, You'll also get an exclusive deal or sale in the Book Riot store. Um, If you subscribe at the five $5 a month, that middle level, you get those things plus access to a dedicated Read Harder podcast that's being hosted by Josh Corman and Sharifa Williams, who are excellent and are going to give us a run for our money. Uh, each week, they're featuring recommendations that satisfy a different task of the 2017 Read Harder Challenge. And it's awesome. It will make you want to read all of the books. And also at this $5 level, you get the new release index, which is magical. Uh, it's curated by Liberty, so it's not the fire hose of every book ever to come out each week, but the ones that we think are extra worthy of attention and also that anybody in the Book Riot community is likely to be into. So there's tons. It's not like five books per week, but it's also not 500 books per week. Um, you have a lot of choices. It's gorgeous. You can filter it by genre and by category. You can mark things to save them for your watch list for later, all sorts of stuff. It's really great. And as Liberty was alluding to, if you subscribe at the highest level, which is $10 a month or $99 a year, you get access to an insiders-only forum on Slack, which is basically like a private chat room with a ton of great features to hang out with other insiders, subscribers, and also Book Riot staff and contributors. And we've been doing this now just since last Tuesday. It has been so much fun. Oh my goodness. So many people, so many books being mentioned, um, pet channel Lots of pet oh, pictures, yeah. which is amazing. Everyone has the cutest animals. I, I'm like, every five seconds I'm looking over like, ooh, ooh, I have to, oh, but ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> so much fun. Um, what else? I made a playlist oh, yeah. on Spotify. Yeah, you did. For mm-hmm. insiders to listen to, like the music that I'm listening to while I'm putting stuff in the calendar, which is hilarious. 80s and 90s pop, mostly. It's so good. It's so good. And I did some impromptu, um, I was just hanging out in there one afternoon and I did some impromptu book recommendations for like yoga and mindfulness stuff for somebody who popped in. We've got a channel dedicated to efficiency and productivity and those self-help books that we like so much. So folks are chatting about that. There is a channel for each podcast. So you can, you know, send messages to the hosts of those podcasts and talk to other folks who listen. There's stuff for all the major genres. If you want to talk about books related to specific genres and then also just, you know, hang out, talk to other people people who love Book Riot. If you came to one of our Read Harder book clubs or if you attended Book Riot Live, this is a great way to stay in touch with the people that you met at those, but also to make new friends. I really love it because we have total control of it. It's like, it's hard to, Jeff and I were talking on the main podcast about how like, it's hard to think out loud on Twitter about things anymore without somebody assuming what you're saying and jumping in and probably getting mad at you. Um, And it's hard to be a person on the internet without harassment problems. 
these days. So this is a place that we can subject to our own same community standards about behavior where people are coming in in a spirit of good faith, wanting to talk to each other, willing to explore ideas and, you know, give each other the benefit of the doubt. Um, it feels really good so far. I really like hanging out over there. Um, if you want to join up on Book Riot Insiders at any of these levels, you can do that. Go to bookriot.com slash podcast insiders. That will redirect you. It just lets us know that you're a podcast listener who found your way in so that we know what are the effective ways to tell people about insiders. Again, it's bookriot.com slash podcast insiders to find out more. Go us. Yeah, you can take a look at the March titles in the new release index. You get access to sort of backward looking just to try out the features of it. And then once you become a member, you'll get access to April and everything going forward. Um, So poke around, have a look. We hope you'll come hang out with us. It's been great so far. Yay. All right. Do you want me to tell you more things? Yes. So I don't know if I've ever done this format thing on this show before, but I'm going to recommend something. Are you going to sing a song? No, mm-hmm. okay. I'm. I would a be rap. willing to. Do, um, <laughs> I would be willing to do either of those things, but I would need time to prepare. Oh, all right. <laughs> My freestyling skills are My birthday is uh, coming up. not so much. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm going to recommend something that's only available on audio. Um, I have been, I think I've had this in my Audible account forever, and I was scrolling back through the library recently, and I was like, oh, I should listen to that, Um, because I've been on this kick with, you know, mindfulness stuff, and it dovetails very nicely. I've also been, I read this great management book called Radical Candor um, that I'll probably talk about on the show at some point, but it dovetails really nicely with ideas about vulnerability and sort of bringing your whole self into all the aspects of your life, going all in on things, um, which is what Brene Brown is all about. So this audiobook is called The Power of Vulner- Vulnerability, Teachings on Authenticity, Connection, and Courage. Um, it's about six hours long, and each of those hours is one session of a talk she gave. There's not a lot of info at the beginning of the audiobook, but it sounds like these are talks that she was giving at some sort of like professional conference. But it's basically a six-hour TED Talk, but with actual data. Um, it's really great. She talks about the research. She's a, she's a sociologist. She has a PhD um, and, or a social – she's a social worker. She has a PhD. She does a lot of fascinating research about shame and vulnerability, how you develop shame resilience, um, that core sense of worth and belonging that people need, um, and sort of the things that erode that as we grow up, but also how we can reclaim those things and help other people in our our lives, in our lives, in our lives, um, to be vulnerable, to be able to show themselves to us, for us to be able to, you know, show up and be willing to be seen. She talks about emotional armor, perfectionism, um, which is a big thing that I have had to learn about in my adult life and to let go of common misperceptions about vulnerability, like that it's weakness, um, or that you can just decide you're a person who doesn't do vulnerability and magically that'll work. Uh, And then there's 10 guideposts for wholehearted living um, so that you can become really fully engaged in your life. Um, I love her mix of theory that's grounded in lots and lots of research and in real people's stories. And she opens up about her own stories and the ways that she is crazy too. Um, And I really appreciate that. It's very funny. Like I laughed a lot listening to this audiobook. It's not like a super serious self-help situation where you're just going to drive around listening to it, feeling bad about yourself. This is actually quite the opposite. The point is to not feel bad about yourself, about whatever stuff you've got going on or you're bringing to the table. If you've read Daring Greatly, 
Some of this will be an overlap, but I just find her to be so, so great on audio that it's worth um, revisiting. And some of the material was different. It's a lot more fun, I think, to interact with this than I love Daring Greatly, but like this is a more fun read. Um, and I took a lot of it home with me. So um, if you are an audiobook person, or maybe you're thinking about becoming one, this is not a bad way to start. It's The Power of Vulnerability, Teachings on Authenticity, Connection, and Courage by Brene Brown. And thus ends our fun and funny interlude, and now I'm going to bring us back down. Yeah, this last segment's going to be kind of sad. <laughs> yes, I, I wish I'm going to use my serious voice um, for this. <laughs> no, but my last pick is called Locking Up Our Own, Crime and Punishment in America by James Foreman Jr. It, it takes an important look at mass incarceration at a time when more light is being shed on America's jails and police officers, and it looks into the disproportionate impact of uh, people in jails uh, on people of color. I was, I was like, my words are stopping here. Um, it, it's so it's so interesting. It's the usual thing, like you think, like racism, um, you know, it's all the horrible things that we know, like that, that. But also he does this interesting study, which I had not known about. Um, he looks into like how at, uh, many years ago, at a time when crime was very high in a lot of cities, uh, many prominent black officials uh, first took office, like uh, Marion Barry. And they felt like they had to be really tough on crime to prove themselves. And so they sort of implemented these aggressive, um, sent, like, longer sentences and aggressive police tactics to prove, like, they're serious about, about what was going on, you know, that they could be taken seriously. And in and, and doing this, um, it had terrible consequences, for, mostly for poor black neighborhoods. Um, and it's such a fascinating, terribly sad study. Um, Foreman Jr. is a former D.C. public defender, and he uses the stories of politicians, defendants, victims, and the police to illustrate how our society came to have, you know, more of its citizens locked up than any other country in the world. I mean, just a crazy amount of people. Um, it's an examination of, you know, where this country is headed in regards to the future of the criminal justice system. It's very important. It's very upsetting. Um, it's very fascinating. And... But it's again, it's called Locking Up Our Own Crime and Punishment in America by James Foreman Jr. And I just wanted okay. to, oh, I wanted to tell you because I'm going to go on a little tangent now that while I was like looking him up, I discovered that he used to be a clerk for Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor, which is cool. Okay. But mm -hmm. then I discovered that because, because you know, this is all me, um, he's the grandson of Jessica Mitford, she's one, oh. of, one of the famous Mitford sisters. And in 1963, she famously wrote America, The American Way of Death, which is like an mm -hmm. expose of the abuses of the funeral home industry, which was something that no one had done before or even considered. Um, and it was a really interesting book. If you read Smoke Gets in Your Eyes by Caitlin Jody, you'll, or if you've read that, you know that she's really into that book and she talks about it a lot. I just thought that was really interesting. So there's my fact that you can tell Bob. <laughs> and then pretend I just had to be myself. <laughs> Um, well, you know, related to issues of death, get excited about my last segment. Um, I don't think that I've talked about this book on the podcast. Um, I've read it a while ago and I, it's, it was front of mind for me, front of mind, top of mind, whatever, um, this weekend for sad reasons, because one of my best friends lost her dog very suddenly. Um, and we had a very sad weekend here in Richmond, but we were talking about, um, the tension between wanting to have been prepared, but also being glad that he didn't suffer for a long time. Um, and it made me think about this book that 
really made an impact on me a few years ago called Being Mortal by Atul Gawande. Um, it's Medicine and What Matters in the End is the subtitle. He's a physician. Uh, he's written numerous terrific books. You've probably heard me talk about the Checklist Manifesto more times than, uh, than you would like. Um, but this is... In this book, he talks about sort of when medicine can go no further, when we can't, what do we do when we can't heal people? Um, That's sort of the ultimate limitation of practicing medicine is um, that life is going to end at some point, and that qual- he's arguing in this book that quality of life is um, is a thing that physicians should pay a lot more attention to rather than you know just prescribing the most aggressive treatment. Really thinking about the quality of life for their patients and for the patients' families, and he's sort of offering a new way of thinking about it. Basically, like if we were to change our social model model about end of life care and death and dying, what would that look like um, to assist older people and people who are ill in having access to good care, um, but also to making sure that the ends of their lives are uh, as full as they can be and that they maintain as much dignity as they can. Um, this is heavy stuff to be thinking about in connection to having lost a pet, but I do think that um, the ways that we think about the animals in our lives are connected to how we think about life and how we think about death in general. Um, it's, it is a heavy read, but it is very thoughtful, um, and it's one of those things that we're all going to have to think about at some point. It's great on audio, um, though I recommend if you like – a thing that I've learned about myself with audiobooks is if I'm listening to something that's particularly heavy or emotional, I have to be careful about when I listen. Like you don't want to be listening to something that's really heavy and emotional that's going to make you like cry before you go into a situation where you need to be feeling freer and lighter. Um, this is how you end up crying through a yoga class. Um, but it's I really, that was really just the yoga. <laughs> Or what happens when they tell you to sit and clear your mind. Yes. Um, it's a really wonderful and an important book. Um, I think it's one of those that uh, it did, it crested bestseller lists and he does wonderful media appearances. And so it sort of made it into like wider public consciousness. But this is just a thing that we don't think about enough and that we don't talk about with each other enough. It's not a fun subject. What do you want the end of your life to look like? Um, but it's, it is a thing that we should all consider. And this is a great way into those big ideas. Um, Atul Gawande is so smart, but also very empathetic. The writing is not cold at all. Uh, so it's being mortal medicine and what matters in the end by Atul Gawande. He's so incredible. Have you he ever is. read, did you read complications? His yeah. first book. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that scene where they can't, like they have no tests to discover if the woman has the flesh eating bacteria or not. And mm-hmm. they think she might, but some people think that she doesn't. And they only have so much time to amputate her leg before it spreads to her body if she does indeed have it, and they have to, like, make that decision. That was probably the most tense, stressful thing I've ever read in a book. Like, forget yeah. forget thrillers. Like, that <laughs> was like, oh my goodness, what are they going to do? What's going to happen? Ah! Like, yeah, that that's was a great amazing. One. I'm glad you mentioned complications. So Gawande is a surgeon, and that book is about complications that come up in surgical care. He's really great at... eating bacteria. He talks about the things that, like, doctors aren't supposed to talk about, you know. Um, I think it's really great. Okay, those are new books this week. What are you going to read now? So we all have gaps in our knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently, a few weeks ago when I was at Oblong Bookstore in Rhinebeck, New York, I discovered that I had quite a gap. Um, Megan Whalen-Turner. Like, not only mm-hmm. have I not read her books, I don't know why I had never heard of her before. And she's 
insanely popular and been around forever. Um, Jennifer at Oblong Books was like, oh, there's a book coming out in May. It's in, set in the Queen's Thief, you know, world. And I was like, I don't know what that is. And she looked at me like I had three heads. Um, and so I looked into it. She's been around. Like I said, first book came out in 1996. There's like four or five of them. And now there's a new one. Everyone's really excited about it. Set in the same world. Um, so I'm going to start at the beginning and read The Thief. That was my really long explanation to say I was going to read <laughs> The Thief. But I was just really, like, surprised. Like, I couldn't believe I had never even heard of her. I don't know how that happened. I don't know what I'm going to read next. I've never read Megan Whalen Turner either, so don't feel bad. Um, we, okay. all, we all have our gaps. But it's National Parks Week this week. Um, so I'm taking the day off tomorrow today when the show airs, um, to go hiking. And I feel like probably the next thing that I'm going to do is reread some sections of The Hour of Land by Terry Tempest Williams, because it's a celebration of national parks and I'm going to go to a national park. Uh, and so that just seems like the right thing to do. <laughs> I'm taking some time off too. Are you? Yes. Tomorrow, uh, I'm going to Portland, Maine, the good Portland, we call it here in Maine. We're very serious about our Portland. The first Portland. Um, <laughs> It, well, Portland, Oregon is named after Portland, Maine, but I hear it's a fabulous place, too. Don't at me. Um, it's very pretty. But I, Print Bookstore, the bookstore owned by our friends Emily and Josh, they're having three amazing events Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Elizabeth Costova, Christopher Golden, and Hannah Tinty. So I'm going to Portland and staying there for a few days and just going to walk around and go to the museum and go to, like, the million amazing restaurants and go to all these book events. I'm so excited. That'd I never go on, like trips where it's not related to like something to do with work you know like, where i can just be like i'm just gonna do these things i'm excited You're going on a book vacation yeah like 45 minutes from my house <laughs> <laughs> that totally counts this is like why i don't go to bookstores when i'm traveling because i just don't want to think about work oh that i that i could never not go to a bookstore i don't think <laughs> No, my brain just stopped. I was like, what is she saying? I don't even know what these words are. I don't. It's true. We can talk about that on another show. Uh, so okay, that's so it. that is, what's up? That's it for us. That is it for us. Um, so just today, not in general. No, right. This is the end. Surprise. <laughs> um, my birthday is coming sponsor. up. Uh, I'll work on that wrap. <laughs> Thanks to our sponsor, Life After. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. You can check out Book Riot Insiders and join up at bookriot.com slash podcast insiders. If you have a note for the two of us or a question or whatever, hit us up at all the books at bookriot.com or talk to us on Twitter. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Liberty is Miss Liberty. And if you have a minute, you want to give us a little tip, you can leave a rating or review for the show on iTunes. It helps other listeners who are looking for book-related shows to find their way us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.